We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Change is scary. It's scary for everyone. So how do we get people to embrace vagueness, learn from that vagueness, and then still at the same time expect continued improvement? Hey everyone, Dr. Jones here again with another episode of Seeing to Lead. And this week, I talked to Eric Youngman, and he tells us how to do that with vagueness. You see, he explains having a growth mindset is about being able to control your own future. This is a great discussion around the idea of uncertainty and how you can embrace it by figuring out how to ask questions on why you're doing what you're doing because it's about embracing the process instead of relying on the outcome. Think about that for a second. The ability to grow and continually improve is focused on embracing how you get there and why you're going there instead of relying on the outcome. If we have set outcomes, we get to them and we fail, well, then we fail. But if we're about the process, even if we fall short in the outcome, we know that we just turn around and keep trusting and embracing the process to make progress in the face of being vague. Because if you want to get better, you have to take risks. It's as simple as that. And the way you do that, once you take that risk, no matter what happens, you have to ask yourself two very important questions. Eric provides these questions for us in the episode and they're so powerful. How did what I learned today apply to life in general, the bigger picture, as it were? And the second one is, how would you take this further if you had more time? You see, oftentimes our goals and our tasks are time-bound. If we had a little more time, how will we take it further? Well, then guess what? If you're embracing the process, start that process there. The next time you get the chance. Finally, we talked a little bit about ChatGPT because ChatGPT is going to make us rethink how we not only assign classwork and homework, but also assessments. And what does that say about grading? Like I said, we go everywhere in this conversation and Eric is fantastic with some of the points he raises. But you don't need to hear that from me. You're going to learn that in a couple seconds when we get to listening to Eric Youngman. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Here he is on Scene to Lead. We need to create a culture of care, collaboration, and continuous improvement. We need to know who our students and staff and community is. We need to enhance curiosity and where we empathetically ask questions. So how can I ask questions because I'm curious about you? I want to learn more about you. After we ask those questions, how can we listen? You can get so much information if you're listening. 
you know, not just preparing what you're going to say next, also just learning from every interaction. It might be how I can better understand that person, how I can better understand a topic. But I think those real connections, because if you have those connections and relationships, that is the foundation. And then when your community is going through a difficult process or you're trying to leverage change or a new initiative, you already know them. You can anticipate some of their responses. You can build off of previous input and previous learning so you can collaboratively make some progress. Dr. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thoughtful dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Dr. Eric Youngman is an education leader who is passionate about topics such as homework, growth mindset, grading, and leadership. Published books he has written include The Magic of Growth Mindset and 12 Characteristics of Deliberate homework, as well as a chapter for 100 no-nonsense things that all teachers should stop doing. Eric has also written numerous blogs about growth mindset and grading. This is his 22nd year in educational leadership. Eric is the Assistant Superintendent for Teaching and Learning for Libertyville District 70 in Libertyville, Illinois. Previous education experiences include being a principal in Libertyville, as well as an assistant principal and teacher in Gurney, Illinois. Eric earned a doctorate in educational leadership, education specialist degree, and master of science in education from Northern Illinois University and a bachelor of arts from Augustana College. You can learn more or contact Eric via his website, ericyoungman.com, or via Twitter at Eric underscore Youngman. And I'm going to link those up in the show notes as well as links to those books that are mentioned, and especially the chapter in the book 100 No-Nonsense Things. That's a really good read. But I'm super excited to talk to Eric today because especially his take on homework, growth mindset, grading, and leadership, those are four areas that to me are super important and need to be talked about and fleshed out because of the differing opinions and where we're moving in the future of education. So Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the conversation. You know, when I when I mention those things, I think about homework and I think about grading and different conversations I've had, all of which take some leadership. But what I see as almost the foundation of all of it is that growth mindset piece. And so what is it about growth mindset that draws you to studying it so much and writing about it? It's that control of your own future. I think if you say you're bad at math, that's one thing. But if you know that you can modify your learning. And if you focus on your effort and your attitude and your focus, um, then you can make some differences. And really where I try to focus most is how can we embrace and learn from mistakes, challenges, and even vagueness? Because when you have those, you have to think quickly um, and deliberately about how you're going to act. And mistakes are going to happen all of the time. Um, I was uh, pretty involved in athletics in my early life. 
And that's where I really thought that power would be helpful. And now I'm trying to think of some things that could help other athletes um, as well as learners and educators. Same with while you're learning. You're going to make a mistake at some point. So how can you learn from it and get better? And as I continue to have conversations with athletes and educators and parents, really, I like to focus on iterations and that continuous improvement. So it's a good example for writing. You do that first draft, but you have to expect that feedback. You have to be able to expect, continue to make it better. And with almost anything, our future iterations will be better. And so if you're looking for that feedback, you're trying to learn from um, any feedback or perspective that could improve it, you're going to get better. And that can't happen all the time. When you're in athletics and the coach doesn't give you an opportunity to play, you can just say, keep practicing harder. But sometimes it gets a little bit more complicated than that. But simplifying, if you um, know what you're doing and you're willing to learn from others and keep getting better, when I mean, you have control of your future, I think that's very important for athletics, for learning, for teaching and being a parent. And you just opened up a treasure trove of questions and conversation with that answer right there. Uh, you said a few important things that I really liked. You mentioned vagueness and how can we embrace vagueness? Um, I believe was the term you used, which is right up there, scary-wise in education with the word change. We like our plans, we like our schedules, and we like things to go accordingly. When that doesn't happen, how can we adjust to that? And more importantly, how can we as teachers leading in our classroom and leaders leading in the school help those we lead learn that? How can I as a teacher get students to feel comfortable with embracing vagueness and how can I, as a building leader, get teachers comfortable with doing that? I think it's probably the better word that I try to use more is ambiguity. But how can you be curious when you um, see a situation where you don't know enough about? How can you ask a couple more questions? How can you eventually really figure out the why? Why am I doing this? Why is this important? And just be that continuous learner. But with our school community, unfortunately, we've experienced a couple um, deaths recently. And again, there's some vagueness, there's some ambiguity for the parents, uh, for the students, for the educators, for the community. But how can you kind of anticipate some of the questions? How can you uh, be flexible so the students and the staff and the parents have an opportunity to react in a little different ways? And then how can you keep getting better from it? And so we're unfortunately going to deal with that topic again in the future in our lives. And so how are we informed? What we did, did we learn from it? so we can imply it in a future situation. But again, I purposely connect the words of embrace and learn from because we have to expect it. It's going to happen every day as a parent, as a principal, as an educator, um, just walking around the way technology continues to change. And then once we expect it, you know, what are some strategies of things that we can do to get through this and even help others? I think we're so focused so much on competition and being better than someone else how can we say, all right, I understand the situation. We need to explain the why. We need to connect with others. But how can I help someone else? How can I help a fellow student, a fellow educator to improve them too? And then we both can apply this in the future. Again, you're really just building that culture of things are not always going to be clear. Let's expect that. But what can we do to keep learning together to keep getting better? So what I'm hearing you say, or or what I'm taking from it, I should say, is... And this is going to roll into discussions about grading and things like that. I'm hearing you say it's more about the process versus the outcome. So mistakes will happen. And yes, we want to get better. But it's really about embracing the process through questioning and being curious. And if that's the case, and that's what you're saying about 
growth mindset. How does that equate to grading in classes? Because we think about getting that A, right? We're not necessarily interested in learning as much as getting that A. So how do we as leaders help students and teachers focus more on that process of growing, asking the right questions, that ambiguity, instead of what do I need to do to get an A? I have to get an A. Yeah, we really do have to trust and value that process. And as educators, we need to be asking the right questions and providing feedback. And so our teachers and students understand that. I guess a model for how I've done it before, there's a blog on my website where I talk about first, whatever unit it is, we're exploring the topic. So we're asking questions, we're being curious, we're not being graded, we're not being rated, we're just asking questions. And then after that, if we learned a topic, it could be a prioritized standard, then we're going to work and learn that. And we're going to work until it's a quality product. And then at that time, that's where we're going to seek a grade. And then the last part of it that I would add is then how can we personalize it? So you have that initial exploration stage, you finally get to a point of, yes, I am going to submit something. But then even after that, that learning is done, you've checked that off where it meets the standard, but how can we give an hour a day even a week to then personalize this information. How does this look to me, to my three daughters, to my wife as a speech pathologist? How would they apply it differently in their life? And I think sometimes we're too busy about getting to the next page, the next chapter, the next unit, and not creating that time. So if we can kind of prioritize some of the earlier learning, get to that deeper questions and conversation, but still make that time for connections, Again, we have to create a culture where the students can make mistakes and they will take risks because ultimately, I would argue our students will be at a better place. If I'm just being conservative and safe and staying in uh, my safe space, I'm going to get the basic answer. But if I can make a mistake, if I can take risks, if I can be vulnerable, I'm going to stretch my thinking. When you talk about design thinking, you look at iterations and your first one, two or three ideas are pretty basic and probably common to anyone else. It's that idea of four, five, and six that are really stretching and changing that. So again, I think it's really boiling it down to creating a culture so you actually can make mistakes, but then even be better because you're thinking differently. You're thinking outside the box. Um, you're extending. It's not just that knowledge for information. It's that synthesis or evaluation and making connections to that deeper level thinking because you're comfortable and you know you're not going to be penalized. So now when you talk about iterations, I think about the math course that assigns homework, but homework is called practice. It's not called homework. It's called practice. And 90% of that student's grade is based on their performance on an assessment. And then I think of another course, uh, say maybe in history, where homework is 30% of the, of the student's grade because homework's important. And, and there's more emphasis placed on homework because of coming in for Harkness discussions or Socratic seminars and things like that. They, they, they focus on the preparation piece of it outside of the classroom. When we're talking about iterations, I think iterations are so important. And I'm, I'm 100% with you where, you know, the first three, you have to think ahead thinking that you're just going to go past those anyways. You really don't hit the meat of understanding until the fourth iteration. Where does homework fit into all this and how it's assigned differently or the same or even should it be? In my book, I write about if and when you assign homework, it should be meaningful and reasonable. And so I don't want to tell people you have to mandate daily homework and you should never assign it. 
Um, but I'm really recommending that it's meaningful and reasonable. And sometimes that can be accomplished with a bell ringer, where you ask a certain question at the beginning of class, you're just getting them thinking or connecting to a previous thought. Or same with some sort of exit ticket. It could be electronic, it could be verbal. But before they leave at the end of the class, they're talking about what they learned and making some sort of connection. So sometimes those can be in place of homework. But it's hard with the different classes. I have a daughter in seventh grade, ninth grade, and 11th grade. And yeah, that junior in high school, lots of complex homework. And so they need to practice skills. But she's playing basketball, she's playing golf. Should she still be doing three, four hours of homework and up till one in the morning. I don't know. But I think when you do assign it, it has to be meaningful and reasonable. And I think it should be counted as practice because we don't know whose answers those are. Are those the student on the bus? Is that their parents? Uh, when you send home a project, you can make some beautiful architecture, uh, but I think we're grading your child. And so if you build that at school, you know it's just the school's work. I was recently at Apple uh, we we're at Cupertino, and one of the things we were talking about was Chat GPT. Um, now, when you're writing information, you can ask Chat GPT to write me a summary of the Civil War in five paragraphs, including a specific person, and it will do that. And so, again, when we're grading, that just adds whose work are you grading? You know, sometimes the teachers are going to have to change how they ask the questions. But back to your original question about homework, again, we just have to choose when and how we assign it. Um, we have to give some students some choice. We have to limit the number. Again, we could say practice all 24 problems. But if we really could have them practice in class and we know where they're at and say, if you did well, do these three questions. If you struggled, do these three questions. If you've already mastered this, let me align you something else. So realistically, we cannot expect teachers to differentiate homework all the time. But I think there's lots of options we can consider. Um, to make it more reasonable. And again, it's a very different conversation at a public or private institution, very different from kindergarten and first grade compared to high school. Um, but at the same time, how can we make learning meaningful and relevant? And sometimes some of these questions, I just try to ask a lot of questions. It could be a one question. The student just has to write three sentences. It could be on the bus before school or after school. But even if the question is basic, how did this learning apply to your life? Or what would you do if you had a little bit more time on this topic? And so, again, very different from math when you have to memorize formulas and all that. But I still think we can be creative at educators if we ask the right question and are really just trying to help students connect with their learning as well. You know, you said two really good things that I would be remiss and or disappointed in myself if I didn't repeat for the listeners. You said those two questions that you mentioned just for homework. How does this apply? How do you, what you learned today apply to real life? And the other one was, how would you take this further if you had more time? I believe it was. Correct. Those are just two fantastic questions that, that highlight the understanding and learning aspect. You did, you opened up another subject that just two minutes on, maybe, chat GTP. <laughs> um, everybody's up in arms about chat GTP. Good thing, bad thing, who knows? Clearly, the way we phrase things, like you said, rearrange questions, the way we approach learning and assignments is going to have to change. Some would say in a better way. Some would say all hope is lost and everywhere in between. What does chat GTP mean moving forward for the growth mindset? How does it affect the growth mindset 
as far as asking the right questions, going through iterations, and I'm not there yet, but I could get there. Does chat GTP stunt that or accelerate that, you think? Well, I think students before may have had more knowledge, but now we have a lot more skills. And so when we're looking at something like chat GPT, it could be a resource where we ask it to write something. But then again, if we ask it after reading it a different way and add it to add more detail, we could then use that information and say, this is my summary and I believe um, in this learning. So I think we would have to be part of it. But I think, again, it's just trying to isolate it down to more details. I think we as educators, initial reactions might be, how can we block this? How can we avoid it? Well, this right now is in its lowest effectiveness of chat GPT. I think this is version three. And so the amount that it can get better is almost infinite. The next version is is a huge number of what it can go through as it's processing this information. So it's going to be here. Um, So again, I think we just have to argue, how can we leverage this resource to think differently about our teaching and learning? And we might not come to an answer, but even if you talk about it at a staff meeting, who cares what I'm thinking? If we're at least thinking and talking about it, I think the staff will have more questions. Um, I shared a couple articles on Twitter this weekend that are focused on this topic, but just reading it makes you have different conversations and you're talking with educators differently because again, we have to think how our students are thinking. And so we went to school in a different era, but now that there's these new tools, they are using those at home. Chat GPT is helping medical doctors. Um, It's going to help them in their future jobs. And so even if you say, I'm gonna penalize them for grading, we're not using it. How could we help them use this better? because they're going to be teaching and leading us in the future. So again, I think you just have to rephrase the question and say, how can we leverage it? How can we learn from it? How can we explore it? Uh, Sometimes, it doesn't need to be all the time, but I think it's something that's out there that we need to keep learning about. That makes me think of two things. The first thing is, you know, we've been talking for a while, ever since Google, that it's no longer about knowledge, it's about skills and how to be able to find that knowledge and put that knowledge to use and so forth. But what you said just then about the conversation and so forth, leadership. So this will hit on the the fourth section that that you're really skilled in. As far as leaders go, how do leaders not just have that conversation with teachers so that teachers have it with their students in the classroom? How do they support teachers with having that conversation or have that conversation in such a way that it gains traction where there's actually some engagement and use? There's some different protocols we could use. So even it's like a jigsaw activity where we each read an article and there's four articles being read. And then we talk about it to the other groups and then we share that information because I've had my own thoughts about it. And then, like I said, other educators or tech experts are sharing different resources with me. So I'm viewing it at a different perspective. If I look at it at my same perspective, I may say, wow, this is going to be a challenge for grading. But if I look from an outside at a tech expert's view, you know, they're talking about all the benefits of it. So I think if you could give four articles from different type of people with different perspectives, at least that will um, help with the initial conversation. So we're all speaking it on some baseline or foundational knowledge, because sometimes we don't have any knowledge or we're coming with completely different thoughts. So at least that would create a common foundation and then really just listen 
um, to your staff, some of the questions, some of their fears, some of their excitement. I mean, there's going to be a couple people you can say they're really going to want to deny it. They're going to really be fearful. And some people are just going to say, wow, how can we amplify? How can we enhance this? And I think everyone should hear those conversations. And then again, you add that with then you add that at a different articulation with a different school or district or even state. You know, what are they thinking? What um, so just continue to build on the new perspectives. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book Seeing to Lead yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal by employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader. Seeingtolead.com. You know, we've talked about growth mindset a little bit. We've talked about homework a little bit. We've talked about the leadership piece and all of these things that you've written about, you blog about, you speak about. Keeping those in mind, what's your idea of a perfect school for teachers and students. If I walked in to a school that you were running, you had complete control over, you know, those things that never happen in real life. But uh, if I walked in, what should a school look like for teachers and students? What would it feel like? What would I see? What would I hear? I'd probably focus on two things. And one of them is that continuous improvement for students and teachers. So how can we add that self-assessment and reflection component Similar meeting learners where they're at so we can differentiate support and building on their strengths. I've heard a lot of different things about how we can help people, um, but I think I've seen a lot of benefits of really focusing on their strengths. And so everyone still needs to be accountable for what they're learning and their job. But you can really lean into some of the people differently if you leverage their strengths. If they have some areas that they're not as good at um, or they're a little reluctant about, yeah, you can maybe help, but let's focus on their strengths. So I think continuous improvement is the first thing I really want to focus on. How can our teachers keep getting better? How can the students continue to gather feedback and keep getting better? And then really, I think it should be engaging. Um, it really can be fun. So how can we empower those connections to world um, application or to their passions? Again, I gave an example at the beginning where at the end of learning, how can they make that connection? And again, I want students and staff to understand why we're doing it. And again, when I was little, I liked a lot of basketball. So if I was able to connect with something, it probably would have been about basketball. And the teachers can push back and maybe say, all right, Eric, you're not making a connection to basketball this time. But how can we make it at the end where I can connect to something that I'm passionate about right now? Obviously, it's growth mindset. Um, how can we make that um, learning meaningful and relevant? Um, how can we make it active and authentic? With our newest strategic plan, we're really trying to focus on enhancing that active and authentic learning. And I don't have all the answers yet, but we're starting to look at that to, again, revisit. You know, we see school, we see students, how it's been. It has not changed that much in the last 100 years. And we really need to take this impetus um, to make some changes. 
And so I think how can we make it more active and authentic will be a good target as we're starting to think deeper on that. You know, I, I love what you said. And it, it reminds me of two personal examples I have, if if I can just share them for, for a quick second. With my son, you talk about, and they both have to do with the same son. If you talk about the idea of making connections, he actually received, so this is a shout out to the teacher, and I can't remember the teacher's name that he had. He makes connections all the time to Marvel. We're, we're a Marvel household. We're not a DC household. If you mention DC, you get in this an argument. But but um, he makes a connection to Marvel. And now typically it's, sometimes it's a little tiring. I'm going to be honest because everything goes back to Marvel. But he's not just making a connection back to like a movie. He talks about how the movie's made and he does all this research on these Marvel movies about what phase they're in and who has the rights to what. And what character can be used or show up because some other company has the rights and they're making this multi-million dollar deal where they're splitting it up for film rights versus merchandise rights. And I'm thinking to myself, like, when are you learning all this? You know, but he's he's engaged and he's active with it. So he gets excited about it, but it's a connection from the things he's learning in school and the subjects he makes these connections. And a teacher complimented him on it one time. And I just, the first thing that came to mind is, well, he's making connections to movies until I realized it was so much more. So kudos to the teacher for noticing that. But the other piece is you're talking about um, active and authentic. My son, and I've told people this before, struggled with school in middle school, my oldest one. He just, he was unengaged. He didn't, he didn't care for the school too much. And as a result, he wants to be an engineer. And so he applied to the vocational technical high school and went there and absolutely took off because his learning was active with the different shop pieces he does in engineering, building things and so forth. And it's authentic. It has to do with real world solutions where now my kid came home the other day and he said, oh, dad, Trig is pretty, pretty easy. I'm like, Trig, what are, you, what are you talking about? I don't even know if I can spell trigonometry, much less do it. But um, it's just talking about things like that because the student owned the education, I guess is what I'm saying, and became engaged in it because of the way it was delivered. I think we can do that in regular schools, not just vocational schools. We definitely can. I think how can we make it active for the student and connecting to that passions? Again, before I thought a lot about basketball, but now it's growth mindset. So anything, I'll be watching a sporting event, I'll be reading the article, I'll be browsing on Twitter, and I'll connect it right to growth mindset. I'll think of a different image to create or a different quote that I'll use in a different presentation. So it's one of the things always on my mind. So whatever it is, that target may evolve. But as people, we're trying to make connections and we're going to spend more time, even for a teacher, if we're looking for a topic and we want to explore something um, and they're passionate about it, they're going to give you more and come up with amazing ideas um, because they're passionate about that topic. Awesome. So along those lines, you've you've been in education for quite some time, and I've got two questions for you, but with you being in education for so long, if you were not an educator or a leader, who, not what, would you be? That's a tough question. I think initially, because of technology and noticing all these changes and updates in artificial intelligence, I should almost say a leader of a technology company. Because right now there's a lot of possibilities, but I still go back to I love basketball and soccer. And so I would be the best golfer or basketball player in the world, whoever that is. If it had to be basketball, I would argue Michael Jordan. If it had to be golf, I'd say Tiger Woods. But I love those two sports. Those two are the best at it. Um, And again, 
just being amazing and so awesome at it is one thing, but then the impact on other lives, they made a lot of money. So they're able to create two different foundations and organizations and have different impacts. And so, you know, as a younger person, I'd really be loving that golfing and basketball impact. But now as I'm getting a little older, um, I would really focus more on that impact. How could I use that money to help education? Um, how could we help students to enhance equity around the world? But that'd be my answer for now. <laughs> That's fair enough. Although, you know, you might get some people that will roll their eyes or want to get in an instant argument saying Michael Jordan is the best basketball player. I know. That's one I stay out of. I don't know anywhere near enough about basketball to be able to get into that argument. So the final question, I mean, we're getting to the end here and uh, you've given us so much information, but I'm really interested in what's the most important piece of advice you would give to any leader as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? I think it all should focus around building connections and relationships. I think we need to create a culture of care, collaboration, and continuous improvement. We need to know who our students and staff and community is. We need to enhance curiosity and where we empathetically ask questions. So how can I ask questions? Because I'm curious about you. I want to learn more about you. After we ask those questions, how can we listen? You can get so much information if you're listening, you know, not just preparing what you're going to say next. Also, just learning from every interaction. It might be how I can better understand that person um, or how I can better understand a topic. But I think those real connections, because if you have those connections and relationships, that is the foundation. And then when your community is going through a difficult, difficult process um, or you're trying to leverage change or a new initiative, you already know them. You can anticipate some of their responses. You can build off of previous input and previous learning. Um, so you can collaboratively make some progress, but you definitely have to know them. You know, if I'm thinking of staff and parents, um, but also students, if you have those relationships, um, as you're talking about a difficult concept, you can make those connections. You can be excited about it. You can get them excited about it. But the more you know um, about the people you're working with, the bigger impact you can have. Have you ever read, I'm just curious, Josh Spodek's Leadership Step-by-Step? Step? Not yet. I know it's kind of an off question. Not yet. That's a, it's a really good book that talks a little bit about that and being present and listening and so forth. But he talks about getting to know people. And when we talk about building relationships, it's funny because sometimes people say it's too difficult to build relationships. I've got too much going on to build relationships. But it's super easy if you ask somebody and obviously authentically listen and you're present. If you ask somebody about themselves or to explain something about themselves, and as soon as, and this is where Josh Spoda comes in, as soon as you make a connection, so another word that you've been banning about, with that person somewhere in your life about what they're saying. So for instance, if you tell me you like to play guitar, something like that, and I say to you, oh, you know what? That's really interesting, Eric. My sister plays guitar and she does gigs on the weekends in a band. And we start talking and that relationship just flourishes and opens up if we get the person to talk about themselves because everybody likes to talk about themselves. No, it's amazing what you can learn. I think I'm always trying to be purposeful about the questions that I ask, you know, at the right question at the right time. Um, and again, listen, and you might share some feedback based on their response, because like, like you said, they're going to be passionate talking about themselves. Um, but if you can connect with that, make that mutual 
conversation and connections and then revisit it in the future, um, it's definitely beneficial. There's the key, revisit it in the future. Well, you know, Eric, you said a lot of good things on the podcast today. I'm definitely going to link up all the books that you've either authored or been a part of in the show notes. And I'll definitely hook to your contact information up. But what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants to get in touch with you and continue the conversation or find out more? Just go to my website, ericyoungman.com. There's a contact button there. Um, Or reach out to me at Twitter. It's at Eric underscore Youngman. And it's Eric with a K. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Really, I I learned a lot about our four topic areas today. And I'm sure the listeners did as well. I really appreciate you coming on and being a guest today. Thank you for your questions. Continue to lead and inspire. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.